Hey everyone, this is Joel Hubbard and I'm so excited to be flying solo. Yeah, <laughs> every once in a while it is fun to just sort of like, here are some thoughts I've been thinking about. Here's uh, some reflections, some uh, ideas that might be helpful to you. And I get to share them. And I want to talk to you today about our spiritual journey and what it actually invites us to interact with uh, and integrate. And so our spiritual journey, you can call it the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell. You can call it spiritual journey. You can call it the path, whatever you want to call it. What it does is it involves us interacting with the different archetypes. And I'll explain what I mean by that. And to the degree that we interact and integrate well with them, it's to the degree that we we actually navigate and work past a particular stage in our spiritual journey. When we stop, we get stuck at that stage. And we can call it a journey, but oftentimes what we're doing at that point is more circling the same sort of area. We're kind of going in, uh, facing the same challenge over and over again and not really getting past it. And I think what's happening right now in society is that we have become uh, categorized, I think, separated out by, by certain archetypes that are very clear to all of us. So let me give you an example of that. So I was in ministry for a uh, quite a long time. And one of the things that I discovered was towards the end was how people would look to me for the answers. And if I challenged them to grow for themselves, I was often, not all the time, I had wonderful people who responded to that and grew, but I was often met with a reaction of anger or just a sense of like they couldn't do it. And then I would find that they would look for the answers elsewhere. It was like, okay, you didn't give me what I wanted, so I'm going to go find it somewhere else. Uh, and I felt increasingly the pressure to be their savior. I remember somebody saying to me, would you just tell me what I should do with my life? And there's a temptation for me. Certainly, it was more comfortable by far for me to deal with the problems that other people had than to actually face my own. And that is the what, what I call the savior archetype and then the victim archetype. And I definitely fit much more in the savior. I do have some victim in me. I've noticed where that shows up uh, in the sort of unhealthy ways. But at the higher levels, we're integrating the gifts of all of those archetypes. At the lower levels, what we're doing is we're subdividing and sort of creating these categories is, is maybe the, the word. And, and so you have like institutions that are savior type institutions. You don't really have victim institutions as much, but you have savior institutions. But then you have other places where victims do show up quite a bit and uh, circles I've been part of where everybody's sort of the victim and they just endlessly talk about their problems, but actually don't move forward. I've been part of those circles. Actually, I remember uh, I remember distinctly being in one of those and then getting to the point where I thought, well, but there are solutions, right? Like we can actually take some of these steps and grow. But it was really good for me because I needed to confront my own inner victim that I was not paying attention to. Okay, so I'll say more about that in a moment. But anyways, that sets it up for, I think, for our discussion. Uh, what we're invited to on the journey is to confront these archetypes. And there are plenty of them, many more than we'll talk about today. I just want to look at four of them. I want to look at the savior, the victim, the villain, and the trickster. So as I already started down that path with the savior is that the savior archetype is, or sometimes called the hero archetype, 
this is the one that uh, tends to not want to be af- affected by life. Uh, it's sort of a denial of how things have impacted them. They don't want to be a victim, so they kind of deny a lot of that, ignore it, repress it. And that's on the low side. On the high side, they actually are capable types. They've learned how to move through difficulty and uh, and do achieve some some victories, some wins. And so that's the sort of savior archetype at a uh, at a high view. And when that savior victim is invited, like we, we you know we're on our journey, we confront a problem, we confront something that's that's an in it's an, I'm talking about an internal one, because a lot of times what we're doing is when we're confronting problems, we're seeing them as external challenges to us. So it's like, I am uh, moving towards a particular goal. Uh, I have a desire. I want to make a connection. And there's something that comes in the way of that, right? And so as a person on this journey, I might look at that as the problem. There's the opposition. There's the resistance. Why am I always confronting these, these same sets of problems? Well, the hero's journey, as it's been called by by uh, by many, including Joseph Campbell, is that it is an invitation to the deeper journey. Like, what is that doing internally for you? In what way is it surfacing some internal beliefs and practices that are self-limiting? And that's what we are invited to do so that we can transcend them and become you know, sometimes it said better versions of ourselves, right? We become more fully integrated, uh, happier, healthier. And uh, and so that's what the journey does. But so often what happens when we are confronted with something that we feel is impossible to transcend, to to get past, is that then we, we outsource that. So for the victim... And we'll talk about what the victim archetype is. But for the victim, they will look to the Savior and they will outsource the Savior to some kind. It's either an individual, like in a relationship. Uh, pairings oftentimes happen across this these archetypes. You know, you'll have one that's play, that's more of the victim and one that's more the Savior. You'll have that in family systems. You'll have that in, in churches uh, where the church itself it functions as a Savior. And then, of course, the leaders, the pastors, they function as as saviors as well. And then you have the that in the political world, uh, where politicians all the way up to the president, they are the saviors. And so you see this in corporate America as well. Um, so it's everywhere. Uh, and what we're doing is oftentimes looking to them uh, to, to name the problem, which the problem is always external to us. Right? It's never naming the problem as, you know, the problem is within you. The problem is you know, maybe you read into that situation. The problem is maybe you need to confront the some things that you're not confronting about yourself. And, you know, that's not the message people want to hear. Uh, and so um, for the Savior to remain in a position of power, they have to name the problem as being external to the victim and that the Savior themselves has the solution. They have the solution for the victim. Okay, so let me give a definition a little bit more uh, to the victim and the villain. And this is the this is a sort of like triad that really works well together. And well, I mean in quotes. It works as a system, and that's what most of our systems are built on, is we want to be able to name the villain, and we want to uh, 
uh, do so for the victims so that we remain in power who are the saviors. And the victims want the saviors to name the enemy so that they don't have to take responsibility. So there's no, there's nobody really in true power. There's some in hierarchical, like in positional power for sure, but not in the sense of uh, true agency. All right. So you have the victim is the one that is affected by life. Uh, they're the ones who they recognize they've been, you know, they've been impacted negatively and they're willing to admit it, talk about it. They are also the ones that are willing to ask for help. Um, and so on the high side, they're confronting some things that savior types are not willing to confront. They're too, they're too afraid to, and they're willing to ask for help, something that savior types don't want to do. Uh, and so that's the gift actually of, uh, the victim archetype. Of course, on the low side is that they become dependent, dependent on saviors to rescue them. And they see the problem as insurmountable, right? So they don't really grow or call up the agency that's within them, call up the power, discover that they're capable, discover that they can actually defeat the uh, the dragon. So that's the sort of victim. And the victim, again, is not, we would say, well, they seem to be the powerless ones. Well, in a sense, but in another sense, they are powerful because they're the ones who give power to the saviors. The saviors wouldn't have any power if, it, if the victim said, I don't need you. <laughs> you know, I, I want you in my life. Like there's something you can contribute for sure, but I don't need you in the sense that I'm dependent on you to rescue me, right? And anything that you give to me, it's a participation. I'm going to learn and to integrate that. And you will always be beneficial to me because perhaps you will always be more of a savior type than I will be. I may always be more of a victim type than a savior type. And that's fine because I have my gifts, you have your gifts, right? So that's the sort of conversation that, that could happen there. But the victim will uh, give power and does give power to the savior. And the victim will quickly pivot and drop the savior and switch out for a different one if that savior stops serving them or giving them what they want. So see, this is what I mean by who has the power? Well, neither one and both do. All right, so let's uh, talk about the the villain. So as I already mentioned, the villain is named oftentimes by the by the savior, right? Or sometimes the victim will name the the villain, and the savior will say, "Yes, for sure, that's it." And I've got the answer. I know how to protect you. I know how to give you what you need. But here's the thing: we need a villain because we need to be able to to externalize our internal fears and our internal pain. We need a monster. We need to be able to to blame. We need a scapegoat. Like, you know, the problems I have cannot be my responsibility entirely or even at all. Like, it needs to be something that I can find some other reason for why I'm struggling. Because it's it's just, it's really hard. Imagine, I mean, looking at yourself is is difficult to recognize, like, I've created my own set of problems, or at least I've participated in it, right? I've made, or at least I've made it worse, right? I, I had some unforeseen uh, circumstances come at me. And then what I turned them into was something, you know, more, you know, became, I, I made it worse by, by my response to it. So our lives are by design. You know, we, we really design our lives and it's difficult to look at it. I remember th- in burnout in 2016, looking at my life, and I wanted to blame everything else and everyone else, and I did. And then confronting myself, and it was so painful to take ownership and realize I had been, 
you know, to realize and then take ownership that I had been the cause of my own burnout, that my life was my life because of what I had done. But at, at the same time then, right, not at the same time, but maybe a little bit later, I began feeling a bit more agency and more and more and more like I could do something about this. But it was so much easier to name the villain as external to myself than to confront the reason why I'd made these decisions. The reason why I had these behaviors is because of an internal belief that I held. And I could release that belief. I could choose maybe a different one. I could actually begin behaving differently. And when I did, well, transformation began to take place. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't instant, but it began to take place in my life over the course of months and years. Uh, and so that's the journey. That's the hero's journey, right? We're being invited to, to stop naming the villain as something external to us, to stop believing what savior types who are paid to be, you know, the ones who name the enemy and then rescue us. To say, no, actually, the villain is within me, you know? The reason why I, you know, had financial struggles, you know, in my life was not because of an economic downturn alone, but because of decisions I've made, right? And again, that message isn't getting put out there uh, because it doesn't support the system that right now is running our world, and it's a system of saviors and victims, so let's talk about the low side, high side of the, of the villain itself. The, the low side of the villain is that they can be oppositional to everything, uh, to anything that's good. Uh, they can be destructive. They, can, they're the, they might be the ones at work who have nothing good to say, who are constantly provoking and causing problems. Uh, they don't know how to work well together with other people. And as a result, they sometimes get themselves fired. Or in family systems, they do some of the same, some of the same things. And they seem to thrive, they seem to enjoy. They don't thrive really, but they definitely feel like they seems like they enjoy being that figure. And so on the low side, they're destructive. On the high side, the villain is the one that does oppose things that should be opposed. Uh, they're the ones who name the elephant in the room when everybody else is ignoring it, trying to play nice. Uh, you know, they they don't want to deal with it because it's uncomfortable because they have their own personal agendas. They have their own motivations that it's like, you know, self-preservation motivation. Like, I don't want to get in, you know, I don't want to lose, lose my social status. You know, I don't want to lose, I don't want them to hate me. So there's a lot of times we don't, we look past some of these elephants in the room and the villain is the one that will say, hey, you know, I don't care if you all hate me, but I'm going to name the problem right now. And oftentimes they do have people dislike them for a little while. Right? And that's sometimes the, you know, that's sometimes called the monster. The monster, you know, is another sort of archetype, but the monster or the dragon that lives within all of us. And to be able to stand up and say, hey, I don't care if you all hate me, but here's the truth, right? Here's what needs to be said. All right. So, that's the, the, the high side of the villain. Uh, and boy, do we need that sometimes in our lives. And the journey will take us there. And so I wonder, maybe where are you right now? Are you at the place where maybe there's something you might need to say that you're not saying uh, to, a, to a partner, to a family member at work, and you're doing it because you're afraid to do it, you know, or you're not saying it because you're afraid. And what if you weren't? What if you could name it and stand up and, and call up that uh, that inner inner villain, that inner monster. Okay, 
So let's move on to the trickster. The trickster is the one that has been disliked strongly and and actually, I would say, has been hated by uh, the systems themselves, the savior, survivor, or savior victim system. And so in religious institutions, political institutions, the trickster is despised. The trickster is is pushed out. We don't want that. We're fine with the with the villain, actually. <laughs> Again, because you need to know who the villain is. So this is the game that is often played. It's like, you know, there's a game between the three. And that's the system. So the villain isn't outside the system uh, at its worst. And neither is the savior or the sur- or the or, or the victim. They're all part of it. But the trickster is on the outside of that, unless the trickster gets hired, (laughs) in which case then it's the court jester, right? That's hired to entertain, to push the buttons, but not too far. So the true trickster is the one that is loyal to none. So this is sort of characteristics. We'll talk about low side, high side. So loyal to none, except for themselves. They are not part of any category. They don't belong to the savior uh, category, the, 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 the victim category. They don't belong to the, to the villain category. Let me just say a side note here. When I describe these archetypes, there's no such thing as purely that archetype. We are a mix of all of them, again, whether we call them up or, or repress them. Um, and in literature, many times these figures are mixes. So you'll have a villain trickster mix, like the Joker. You'll have a trickster, say, sage mix. Like in the case of, um, sometimes people have said that Yoda kind of, uh, in Star Wars, kind of fits that uh, that mix. You know, you you have these sort of sage figures that are also, you know, kind of, they give riddles, right? So uh, for those of you who are from the Christian background, uh, Jesus is a Jesus definitely functions as a trickster figure uh, in many cases where he seems loyal to no group and belongs to no group and uh, speaks in riddles uh, and oftentimes exposing. So that's another thing that the trickster does is they expose sort of motivations that are hidden. So think of the Avengers and think of Loki. Loki is a trickster figure who does a lot of this and. Again, that's the reason why he's uh, disliked. Now, funny thing about that is he's one of the most liked figures in the Avengers. And that's saying something. And I think it's because society right now, culture wants, we're dying for truth. We're dying for like st- like the, the highly moral types that uh, present this way and present as uh, having it all together. Uh, it, it's It's not true. Right, uh, the the benevolent one who's all good, try to be everybody's friend, and be. It's not that you know whatever motivation is being put out there, it's it's not the only motivation. There is a lower motivation, and I think we're hungry for truth. And the trickster can expose some things like that. They expose the hypocrisy, uh, oftentimes, of these key f- leadership figures, you know, and so and of, actually of all of us. All right, so on the low side, the trickster is just serving themselves. They're not interested in benefiting anybody. They're only interested in exposing, and that's it. It's like, I'm going to expose your, your, your lower motivation. Uh, I'm going to shame you. I, I don't really care whether you like me, dislike me. I'm, I'm only here for what I can get out of life, right? It's sort of like, I've been wounded, I've been hurt, and so I'm just going to do this kind of thing. And I think that that is, of course, um, you know, we see that a lot in literature. Uh, but there's also the high side of the trickster, and that's 
the one that does do this for the benefit of people to actually uh, begin to move systems to to be healthy um, and to have healthier interactions and relationships. Like when we're honest about our motivations, we can stop pretending and we can stop using that as a means to having some leverage or power over somebody else. Like, you know, I'm, I'm doing this because I want to be everybody's friend. I want everybody to like me. And really I'm, you know, I'm, in, I'm not an offensive person. I'm such a gentle soul and all this, this stuff that's going on. It's like, yeah, but you're not being truthful. And so because you're not being truthful to yourself, you can't actually grow and you might leverage that as a sort of a, you know, power over or a way to, to be a savior type. And the trickster will call that out and you get to confront yourself for the first time, which is where you begin to grow. And you actually become a far happier person. That's the wonderful thing about this is when you do, there's tremendous benefit to that. But the trickster is necessary for that reason. So modern day tricksters like our comedians, which is why it is so important. Right now we're having a, a, a reaction at, to the whole cancel culture, particularly around comedians, because they've been confined. They've been restricted to playing nice. And we may not like what they say. In fact, you shouldn't really like. If you like it, it's because you've bought them and you own them. And they say it's the court jester. They say just enough, but they still keep you feeling good as the king, you know? And what they're supposed to do is upset you so that you confront the truth about yourself. And so in your journey right now, where are you at? Are you at a place where you're coming to that realization? You know, you've been confronted by somebody or you need to do that. You need to actually speak truthfully about what you see, uh, but you know that that's going to seem disloyal to the current categories. You know, the the system might see you that way. Uh, and so you haven't said anything, right? Uh, and that may be what you're being invited to do. Again, the whole thing with the people that are more archetypally this way is that they are not to be, it's not to be outsourced to them. Like all the comedians that will outsource all the truth telling to them, exposing stuff to them. It's more of like, how can they help me to call up the trickster within me when it's necessary, when I need to, to, to rely it, when I need to actually utilize that more. Right. So that's the point of all of this. Uh, because if we continue to outsource, we're continuing these systems and these systems devolve. They always do unless they are welcoming of the archetypes as the individuals are on their journey. Right? They're doing their journey. They're, they're taking the next step. And as they're doing that, they're confronting challenges. And instead of looking at those as external, they're recognizing that the external challenges are there to wake some stuff up that's been hidden underneath. And they get to confront these, these beliefs, these motivations, these lesser motivations, right? They get to integrate some things that have been disintegrated. They get to welcome back some exile, some parts of ourselves that we've just sort of shamed out of us. And we lovingly, while feeling some of that shame, welcome them back. So these archetypes are there for us. And I wonder if we were to engage more of them, what would happen? How much richer would our lives be? And how much more agency would we have 
in our own lives. Because the journey invites you. And what it invites you to do is to call up these different archetypes that function at the collective there in all of us, but they're certainly also within us individually. And so my hope is that we can begin to become more of the savior that we seek, to become more of the victim that we maybe are in denial of, to become more of the villain and speak up when we need to, and to oppose, I should say, when we need to, and then the trickster to expose the motivations, uh, to expose the hypocrisy. And to do so is so healthy for the collective, for all of us. And so this was really about the collective. You have to do your own individual journey, and you do have to call up those archetypes within yourself. But what it does is it helps the collective, because all of us together doing that, we can work against these systems that are so unhealthy. Right now, if we think about religious systems and political systems and what is happening there, and there's all kinds of people saying, well, we need more accountability, right? Because we're having moral failings at an epidemic level in the ministry. We're having politicians that nobody trusts anymore, right? We have all of this happening. And the reason why is because, well, we've given them power, right? We have put them in those positions of power. And we need to take that back and we need to say, you know, I'm only following you to the degree that you're doing your own internal work. You've got a lot to contribute from a, you know, from a gifting standpoint. If you're more of a savior type, you've got your gifts. If you're more of a victim type, you're, you have your gifts, villain, trickster, et cetera. We all have our gifts. But to the degree that we do our own journey and growth and transformation, that's influence. That's what change, that's what, that's what a true influencer is. And, and, and we need them. Um, and I would suggest that the integration of all of these archetypes is what produces the sage, which is also, you know, an archetype. And the sage is what we need to be aiming towards uh, so that by the time that we're older, uh, we are no longer working from an energy of trying to produce, but we are, we are now at a stage where our very presence is impactful to other people where fewer words are shared and they have deep impact in the lives of younger people. We become ones who, because we have done our journey, we've gone through the hero's uh, journey. We know how to help other people. And we know when to speak and when to say, no, this is your struggle and you have to, you have to fight, you have to struggle. <laughs> You're going to have to go through this. We also know when to walk away and be and disappear as many sage figures do. We know when to be oppositional. We know when to expose the hidden motivations. And we can do so gently and lovingly, but we know how to do it. We know how to say that, you know, we've been affected. Something really hurt us. And that uh, we don't rush out of that. You know, we know how to uh, challenge people to overcome what they think that they can't overcome. Right? Uh, and so this is really what spirituality looks like. Uh, at its best to my mind, is we are doing this and we're doing this not alone, but together. Right? I'm so inspired by people who can sit with their pain and say, yeah, I've been affected and they can name it because it's more difficult for me. I'm so inspired by that. But I'm equally inspired by the person that then says, and yet I know I can do this. 
and they get up and they move forward and they've integrated the savior with them. Now I know some people I can name them. Um, and I love them. They are people that inspire me. And I love the people that can speak truthfully. <laughs> they inspire me. It's like they can name the elephant in the room. And the rest of us might be like, whoa, <laughs> that's a costly thing to do. And wow, you might lose, you know, relationship or you might look bad and whatever else that we think. But that's what we need. We need them around us, right? So that they help us to do the same in our own lives. They don't do it for us. We don't outsource the archetypes. We resource them. That's the key difference. And we participate with one another because we all have our gifts. We all have our strengths. So with that, my friends, much love to each of you on this beautiful, difficult, and yet powerful journey. So thank you for listening and welcome to a new year. Next week, we are launching into a series about community and connection because we do not have an accurate picture of our identity just with self-awareness. We need community to get a portrait of that accurately. If you are new here, make sure you are subscribed. And one of the best things you can do to help us out is to just leave a review of the show. It makes a huge algorithmic difference. And if you want to find out more about all of our work, including coaching and corporate training, you can do so at theartofgrowth.org. But other than that, my friends, may you welcome the year with hope, with anticipation, and with intention. May you be aware of and utilize well each of these energies within you and see how they show up within you and in the relationships around you. And may you value every small step you take and honor that step of the journey. Until next time, grace and growth, my friends.